Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for the book of Matthew that you've written, Lord. You have recorded that for us. And Lord, today we gather together as if you just wrote this letter to us, this Gospel of Matthew, and we just received it, and we're so eager to see what you said in it. Pray, Lord, that you would give us the spirit of a child in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to say Genesis. It's not Genesis. It's Matthew. (laughs) For six and a half years, I've been saying Genesis, but now it's Matthew. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So far in our study in the book of Matthew, which we just started, we saw the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ and we saw how important the stage was set as the Lord was the long-awaited one. He was the, first of all, it starts off by identifying him, as you see here in the first verse. First of all, he was the son of David. Calling him the son of David sets him forth as Israel's long-awaited, fulfilled king. He was the one who was going to rule over Israel. He was going to deliver Israel. As the hymn says that we sing during Christmas time, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every loving heart, born thy people to deliver. That hymn so much parallels, it explains to us what's happening in the first verse here of Matthew 1. Because it starts out 
by telling us that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. That's the king. That's Israel's hope. That's Israel's consolation. This is how, when he leaves, this is how he's identified with the sign over his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, in John 19, 19. That's what Pilate wrote over there. God proclaimed him in the beginning here in Matthew to be the son of David, the king of the Jews. Pilate mocked him at the end of his life by putting that sign, that title over his cross. But after establishing in verse one that Jesus is the king of the Jews, he's the son of David, then comes the announcement that Jesus is the son of Abraham. So the first promise that's being emphasized of him being the son of David relates to the Jewish people. It relates to him being the king of the Jews. He's the king, he's the son of David. But the second promise, which is emphasized in verse 1, of him being the son of Abraham, is not relating to the Jewish people alone, but to a much broader scope, because that promise that was made to Abraham was from Genesis 12.3. And in Genesis 12.3, where God said, I will bless him that blesseth thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed all families of the earth be blessed. That's a promise to Abraham that was not to the Jews only, but it was to all the world. It was to all the families of the earth. So the first verse proclaims the Lord to be the son of David and then the son of Abraham. So in other words, we move in scope from the narrow, in other words, being the king of the Jews, to the broad, being the savior of the world. So in this first verse, we have the Lord being the blessing to the Jewish people as the king of the Jews, and then the blessing to all the earth. So, Then we looked and we covered the supporting genealogy that showed the Lord as the son of Abraham and son of David, showing the support for that. And now we come to this explanation here in verse 18 of now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. So what is this? These are the circumstances. These are strange circumstances. These are the circumstances that are explained to us where his mother was doubted by her husband-to-be, by Joseph, The plan of Joseph was to put her away privately with a secret bill of divorce. His mother then was justified by this dream that came to him from the angel. And then this finishes up here with this grand faith of Joseph. If you and I sat down and we were writing the script for the coming of God the Son into the world to save man, this is not the script we would write. This isn't the way we would write it. This is... Pretty surprising here. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, and so this is quite a wise. But we're told very specifically, it's very clear, that Joseph was not his biological father, but Joseph was his stepfather. And that's important because the Lord is identified in the Bible as the last Adam. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, and so it is written, The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, a spirit that makes others alive. Howbeit, that which was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man, the second man is the Lord from heaven. Now, it's very important that the Lord is called the last Adam, the last Adam. Why? Because the first Adam, as we're told here in this verse in 1 Corinthians, was made a living soul, a living soul. We remember when that happened. 
in Genesis 2-7, in Genesis 2-7, where we were told that the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then it says, and man became a living soul. So this is what's being referred to here. He was made a living soul, but God told Adam, there is a decision in front of you, Adam, and if you make this decision, it will be fatal for you. Fatal for your soul. Fatal for you spiritually. That's what's going to result in And that was the great warning in Genesis 2.16. In Genesis 2.16, where it says, The Lord commanded man and said, Out of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, but in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God said that in the day that Adam ate this forbidden tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, he was going to die. Not in the same year, not in the same month, not in the same week, but immediately when he would eat it, he would die. And that's what happened. He did. So at that point, Adam became the man who was made the living soul, but who became a dead soul. And that death just passed from man to man, just like it's like children that are born to HIV positive parents, they, be, they get HIV because it just gets passed on. So it's this picture there of sin that is passed on generation to generation without a stop. And that's what the Lord was referring to when he was talking to Nicodemus. I mean, he was talking to Nicodemus, the ruler, the teacher, the great teacher in Israel, and he was astounded at the ignorance of Nicodemus, and he said, Art thou a teacher in Israel, and knowest not these things? And one of the things that he taught him was in John 3, 6. In John 3, 6, where the Lord said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Adam was flesh, and what was born from Adam was flesh. Adam was spiritually dead, and what was born to Adam was spiritually dead. And Adam became an unclean soul. And Job understood that nothing clean can come from an unclean. That's what he said in Job 14.4. Job 14.4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. And the son of Adam could not produce a clean, a clean man. This is the dilemma of man. His own sinfulness. And as long as man stays far away from God, then he doesn't feel his own sinfulness. But the closer that a person gets to God, the more he is aware of his own sinfulness, which is the experience that Job said in Job 42.5. In Job 42.5, Job put it this way. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." So what Job is saying there said, as long as I was far away from God, I was not disturbed. Everything was fine. But when Job got close to God, then Job got disturbed by his own sinfulness, which explains the response I told you about when last Sunday, when I was driving in here in the entrance out of the chapel parking lot, and I was coming in, and there was this guy there and who was waiting to pull out onto Mission Gorge Road. And so, you know, I rolled my window down and I said, hey, you belong in church. <laughs> and he yells back, oh no. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? Because the closer a person comes to God, the more that person pours himself, as, as Job puts it. The closer a person gets to God, the more that person comes to the conclusion that Job came to in Job 40, verse 4. Job 40, verse 4. Behold, I am vile. 
What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. That's because the closer a person gets to God, the more he comes to the conclusion that David came to in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, 5. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. I mean, this is Israel's greatest king. This is King David. And he was saying that he was born in sin. He was shapen in iniquity. This is the king. Yeah, it reminds me of the time, I think I told you this. It reminds me of the time when, when we had just finished building the building down there in Takati, and we had the group that moved from one end to Takati, all these trucks and everything, but one end to Takati to, to our new building there in Takati, and our workers were all there, all the assemblers were there together. We were standing in a group, and, and so I had spoke to them. Diana was my translator, and I gave them my testimony, and I told them, you know, how terrible life I'd lived and how the Lord converted me, and, and I explained all that to them. And then afterward, you know, normally I'm, you know, when I stop it, you know, they, they usually clap, you know, so okay, fine. But nobody clapped. <laughs> and I'm saying, oh. And so I go over to a Diana and I said, did I say something wrong? <laughs> I said, nobody clapped. And she said, they're not used to the president of a company saying he's a sinner. <laughs> okay. okay. Israel was not used to their great king saying that he was shaped in iniquity. And in sin, his mother conceived him. They're just not used to that. So this is Israel's greatest, greatest king, and he's saying this. So, so what does man do to cope with this? Well, he separates him farther and farther away from God. He separates himself farther and farther away from God. It just doesn't bother him anymore. And this was the experience of the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.17. In Revelation 3.17, the Lord steps into their lives, their very comfortable lives without God, and he says to them, Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So they look at themselves in their life away from God. They look at themselves and they say, not bad. Not bad at all. He says, I'm rich. I've got a lot of wealth. I don't need anything. I don't need God. Who needs God? And all the while, the Lord looks at them and has a totally different view of them. Totally opposite impression of them. He looks at them and he says, you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. Apart from that, you're very good. How could there be such a disconnect? How could there be such a disconnect between what man thinks of himself and what God thinks of man? Well, God has a solution for this, thank God, and his solution is this. He said, look, come to me so that you can be clothed because this is not good. The shame of your nakedness is not good so that the shame of your nakedness doesn't appear. So come to me. Because what is born of Adam is sinful. And that's why the mother of the Lord Jesus is explained in verse 18 that she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This is what the angel told Joseph, that Mary was gonna have a special child. This was just like God told Abraham that Sarah was gonna have a special child. In Genesis 17, 19, Genesis 17, 19, when it says, and God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. 
for an everlasting covenant. So then Joseph was told to name the child Jesus. And that was the name of Jesus. It wasn't so monumental. There were others named Jesus. Okay, and Joseph says, okay, I can do that. I can name the child Jesus, whatever. But it was the reason why he was to name the child Jesus that was so astounding. Just think of if you were Joseph and you heard this words, you call him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, right away, you know, you're Joseph and you've got a lot of questions. Save? What do you mean save? His people? Who is that? Who are his people? And how is he going to save his people from their sins? So we read this and we're so used to reading this in the King James. And of course, you know, I love the King James, but not that much, but I do love it. But the revised version actually is closer to the Greek than the King James here. And I want to read to you how the revised version puts this verse in, in verse 21, Matthew 121. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And here's the difference. For it is he that shall save his people from their sins. And that's what the Greek is saying. It is he that shall save his people from their sins. See, it's that part that's emphasized here that it is he. Puts a whole different slant on what the angel's statement was to Joseph. It is he, in verse 21, that brings out that this one was the long-expected one. Ever since the promise was made in verse 21, it is he that will come. Finally, it is he that is coming. This is the one who, from all the way back to Genesis 3.15, when the promise was made to Eve in Genesis 3.15, that God was going to put enmity between the woman and the serpent and between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and then he said, it shall bruise thy head. Thou, the serpent, is going to bruise his heel. And so now the angel is telling Joseph in verse 21, it is he that was spoken about to Eve. And this long-anticipated one, as we said, was prophesied, was told, was coming to Abraham in that verse in Genesis 12.3. We already talked about Genesis 12.3, where it says, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So the angel is telling Joseph in verse 21, it is he that will come. And the one that's described as Shiloh and promised to the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49.10, Genesis 49.10, Jacob on his deathbed is beginning the prophecy about Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So Joseph's being told in verse 21, the gatherer of the people, it is he that will come. He's described by this pagan, whatever you want to call him, Balaam, Moabite Balaam, about the tribe of Jacob when he says in Numbers 24, 17, Numbers 24, 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So what the angel is telling Joseph, going back to that in verse 21, it is he that will come that will destroy the enemies of Israel. And of course, the Isaiah, the great Isaiah prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 9, 6, that the child is going to be born, the son is going to be given, and the government's going to be on his shoulder, and his name's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, and the Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So the angel is saying to Joseph in verse 21, it's he that will come. It's he that will come. 
David, in 2 Samuel 7, 16, got the promise from God, thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever through the son of David. It's he that will come. It's he that's coming. That's what he was told, Joseph was told by the angel. So it's all this emphasis in verse 21 on it. It's he, it's he, it's he that will come. And that's behind, and that's why his name is Jesus. It's he that's going to come, that's going to deliver but it's an emphasis on him. It's the same emphasis that we see in Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16 were these words of by him and for him. It says in Colossians 1.16, by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist, and he's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. First place, he might have the Ichiban. So it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, by him, for him, in him. All things, all the creation was made by him. Everything is held together by him. All the creation was made for him. All the fullness of God is in him. And that's why Colossians 2.10 says, Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him. So the angel is telling Joseph that this is the one. And now he says he's going to save his people from their sins. And that raises the question, who is that? Who are his people? He's going to save from his sins. Well, we have this identification of who his people are in John 1.11. John 1.11, when it says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Well, that's pretty clear. I mean, we know exactly who that is. It's the Jewish people. They didn't refer to him. So the large group, the larger group, the majority of the Jewish people are referred to as his own that did not receive him. But right after that verse, there's another group, a subgroup, a group within a group. And it talks about this in John 1.12, John 1.12. But as many as did receive him. To them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So this is the as many as received him group. And the question is, is this group that received him, that is referred to, are they only Jews? And the answer to that question goes back to the promise that was made to Abraham, who explained that he was going to be the blessing to all families of the earth. When the angels announced to the shepherds that he's been born in Bethlehem, what they say in Luke 2.10, what the angel said in Luke 10, was fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. All people. Not just the Jewish people, all people. John the Baptist, the great herald of him, the one who announces him, the forerunner, the Elijah, speaking to the Jewish people, when he sees them, he says in John one twenty nine, John one twenty nine, he says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited time offer for our Friendship with God Study Bible and Hymnal. This package includes a large printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104.